Bullshit is everywhere. Bullshit is rampant. Bullshit. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! It's the Bullshit Filter, Season 2, Episode 3. How are you, buddy? Doing great. I love the season two. I feel like a part of the Game of Thrones. This is very exciting. Mm -hmm. Uh, This episode, we're going to talk about the United Kingdom and maybe Canada, depending on how long it takes us to get through the UK's experience. Now, the, the history of gun laws in England dates back to the assassination of William of Orange in 1584 with a concealed wheel lock pistol. Really? Now, Queen Elizabeth I, who, like me, feared assassination by Roman Catholics, banned possession of wheel lock pistols in 1594. Right. Now, the country today has one of the lowest rates of gun homicides in the world. There were 0.5... No, 0.05... Intentional firearm-related homicides per 100,000 inhabitants in the five years to 2011. It's about 15 to 38 people per year. Not 15 to 38 people per 100, per year. That's hardly anyone ever gets shot and killed in the United Kingdom. And they got a population of 65 million. So, um, yeah. They're doing something right. Yeah. Well, let's explore what they're doing um, and how it's made it. We, we, we spent a couple of episodes talking about Australia's experience. Let's look at the UK's experience, which I don't know as well, obviously. I don't know as personally as I know the Australian experience. Um, gun homicides account for about 2.5% of all homicides in the United Kingdom, uh, which is is not a lot. I think, as I said in the Australian episodes, uh, around the world, guns are responsible for about 40% of homicides, usually. Uh, in England, it's 2.5%. Now... Handguns in the United Kingdom were effectively banned after the Dunblane School Massacre in Scotland, coincidentally, in 1996. Uh, I think it was just before the Port Arthur Massacre in Australia. Uh, Yeah, in March. uh, Not not counting Northern Ireland, the rest of the UK, handguns were banned uh, banned after Dunblane. Dunblane was the United Kingdom's first and only school shooting. And there has only been one uh, mass shooting in the United Kingdom since then. It was in June 2010 with a legally owned shotgun. But in March of 1996, a guy called Thomas Hamilton, 43-year-old former scout leader who had been kicked out of the scouts, uh, but in 1974, so a long time before 1996, he shot dead... 16 children and their teacher at a primary school gymnasium with two Browning high power pistols and two Smith and Wesson 357 Magnum revolvers. Then he shot himself. And the four handguns that he used were all legally owned. Yeah, the uh, the gun control network that was established then, uh, the president of that uh, said, uh, it looked like we were going down the American route of gun violence at the time, and it just wasn't what the people wanted. So obviously, like Australia, the, uh, the collective community is going to come together and decide to do something about it. Now, nine years before Dunblane, there was another mass shooting at a place called Hungerford, where a guy called Michael Ryan went on a rampage through a town, killed 16 people before turning the gun on himself. He'd been carrying a handgun and two semi-automatic rifles, which 
for which he had uh, firearm certificates, so they were legally owned. Now, uh, yeah, as you say, after Dunblade, particularly there was a thing called the Snowdrop Campaign that was founded by friends of the bereaved families. Um, And in fact, I read one of the guys who started the Snowdrop Campaign, his only son, his only child had been killed in Dunblane and his wife had died a couple of years earlier from cancer. Um, Fucking imagine that, man. Like, oh, God. Yeah. Um, Anyway, yeah, the Snowdrop campaign and other petitions basically called for a total ban on the private ownership and use of handguns in the UK. They got 750,000 people to, to sign the campaign which was considered to be symbolic of public opinion. And again, the government in the UK at the time was a conservative government. It was basically mm-hmm. Maggie Thatcher's old government. She had since uh, been replaced by John Major as the Prime Minister. And uh, they actually went one step further than what the campaign had wanted and banned all handguns, with the exception of 22 caliber single-shot weapons in England, Scotland, and Wales. And then when Major's government was replaced by Tony Blair's Labor government, they banned the 22 caliber guns as well. And like Australia, they had a, a gun amnesty and a buyback scheme where they compensated owners for the weapons that they hand in. Um, after Dunblane, more than 162,000 handguns were surrendered. And I thought it was interesting that right after the shooting, um, pistol shooting for a recreational sport was a fast-growing sport at the time. But again, people had the right, in my opinion, the right priorities. They're like, yes, we like going out on the weekends and we like shooting in a controlled atmosphere. But if this is the kind of thing that's going to happen, then obviously the the for the greater good, a lot of people were willing to give up what was for them a recreational activity. Yeah. <clears throat> for the greater for the greater good. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, as I said before, there's only been one uh, mass shooting in England since then. That was in 2010, where Derek Bird killed 12 people in a place called Whitehaven in Northern England. So let me ask you real quick, what do you make of it so far that it was two conservative governments that banned or, or very, very much restricted guns, which you would normally equate with being pro-gun? Well, look, I, yeah, look, that's a really good question. Um, and I don't have a great answer. I think conservative governments in, in Australia uh, and the United Kingdom are interested in the safety of the people as much as the other parties are, they want to build a a safe, prosperous, harmonious society, sustainable society. They tend to, I would argue, be more in the pockets of big business quite often. So big banks, big media companies in this country, big mining interests, uh, uh, large manufacturing concerns. They, they they tend to be aligned with the interests of the rich and the powerful and the wealthy. Um, but you know, uh, gun violence, whilst it probably disproportionately affects the lower classes, it really affects anyone. I mean, anyone can be at a country music festival. Anyone can be at a gay nightclub um and anyone can be at a, a school or a university and, and and be impacted by this um so yeah i mean i i think they care about the safety of everyone as much as anyone although when it comes to climate change they tend to be like ah oh, fuck climate change let's just keep digging coal out of the ground and burning We're it down. but yeah. the difference so i was I, gonna I, say the difference is yeah right i don't think i touched on this at the end of the australian episodes um, in terms of gun manufacturing, big businesses in these countries uh, and the lobbying power that they may have and or just the, the organized um, voting uh, groups that you have with that the NRA runs in the US, we don't have those in these countries. 
to the extent that you have in the US. Well, I mean, we do have shooters parties and shooters groups and that kind of stuff, but they're nowhere near as powerful or as big or as organized as the NRA is. So... I think the conservative parties here don't have big gun-related organizations and businesses trying to lobby them to go this way or that. So they're able to vote uh, on their conscience uh, rather than worrying about profitability. Right. Yeah, I think without some kind of detailed survey, that's probably either the best intuitive answer that there is. Like you said, the conservatives normally in the pockets of the rich and powerful. But again, um, that doesn't always have to mean that they're pro-gun. And when you have an entity like the NRA that has a lot, a lot of influence, a lot of, and we're as we're going to see when we get to America, a lot of money uh, that they can, they can uh, fight their own battles really well. But again, yeah, not having entities like that, I think it certainly makes it easier for those governments. And they just happened to be in power when these tragedies happened. Yeah, that's right. They were in power, but they took action. And uh, I think they've, they've right. been given credit for it in both countries. Now, in the UK today, fully automatic uh, guns are prohibited. Uh, and uh, obviously, handguns are prohibited. Semi-automatics are prohibited. It's very difficult to get a gun. Um, there are only 3.78 guns per 100 people in the UK today. Um, leaving outside of Northern Ireland, Northern Ireland's its own thing. It's got its own sort of uh, rules. Um, so compare that again to the United States, which is 88 guns per 100 people. Australia is about 13.7 guns per 100 people. UK is about, let's say, four guns per 100 people. Right. Now, since the new laws in the UK were introduced in 1997, uh, unexpectedly, there was a 105% increase in recorded handgun crime in the five years after 1997. What? Yep. Does that mean like everybody with a gun suddenly went out and committed a crime? The the ones who had guns left over after the <laughs> I told, I just spilled my drink all over myself. Hold on, give me a minute. <laughs> I'm taking off my pants now. <laughs> Don't get excited. And I uh, too late. My pants are already off. I've got a big container of coconut water. I uh, got out of the fridge and um, I was fiddling with the uh the like the the spout on it and i pulled it off right. and then it, it just all spilled everywhere I tried to was all of that code because <laughs> that's what it sounds so now it sounds like you're peeing on air yeah come on man i'm not kevin spacey don't, don't forget to shake at the end <laughs> that was funny uh, yeah, so it's a little bit counterintuitive, right? They took handguns out and handgun crime went up by 105%. Oh, my God. Now, in is Scotland... Is there an explanation or any studies for that? Or There is. I would have assumed you would have covered this in your research, seeing as you're a full-time podcaster. Tell me uh, what you came up with. <laughs> they went mad. It was the iron in the water. Yeah, the, the ones that still had guns were like, well, fuck this. Are we going to use them? <clears throat> no. So uh, the, the research seems to indicate that a large percentage of this, of these armed robberies that were carried out uh, in the next five years, were carried out with imitation or non-functioning firearms. <laughs> So basically, toy guns, realistic-looking toy guns. Right. They took, pew, pew, pew. yeah, they took out the real guns, and then the crims went, "Well, fuck, we'll just use toy guns. No one's going to know the right. difference." They just put their fingers in their pockets and <laughs> pointed it at people, and said, "I got up. a gun." Yeah. <laughs> now, personally, <clears throat> if you said to me, "Okay, handgun crime will go up." Uh, we're gonna, but it's gonna be with fake guns that can't kill you. Right. I, I'd be like, I'll take that trade off. I will take that trade off. Yes, please. Take right. my shit. I don't care, honestly. Break into my house, take all my shit. I don't care if you, as long as you don't kill me or my family. Yeah. I, I mean, 
Don't rape them either, obviously. Uh, but <laughs> obviously. But if you have to, if you have to choose between raping them and killing them, rape them. Definitely rape them. Yeah, we'll no. get we'll get over that. <laughs> right. We'll get over that, but don't kill them. So <clears throat> yeah, but the, so you'll hear that stat used a lot. Oh, handgun crime went up when they introduced gun laws in the UK. Yeah, but it, it, when you drill into it. Uh, it's not as uh, it's it's not as simple as it sounds. Now, um, it wasn't right across the UK either. In Scotland, handgun uh, offences fell by eighty percent in that first five years, but in other parts of the UK, they went up. Now, uh, my explanation of this is the Scottish weren't smart enough to realise they could use toy guns. <laughs> no. no. Okay, no, no, uh, okay, the new lassie, they took away our guns. It's a bra brech moonlech nech tenech. There's a moose loose about the hoose. And all that kind of stuff. Um, so, <laughs> no, On a semi-more serious note, I think because the shooting took place in... Um, in Scotland, that you you would think it would have affected those people yeah. a lot more intensely, say if you were in London. So yeah, I can I can I can totally see the drop mm. in in the surrounding area. Mm. Mm. Or at least I would think so. I would that you know intuitively. Now, since two thousand and three, however, uh, gun related crime has fallen consistently. Uh, uh, up until present times in the UK. Um, now, there are other reasons for that. Uh, all the stuff that I talked about at the end of the Australian episodes is also true for the UK. Lead, abortion, um, macroeconomic issues, policing, particularly policing. Um, they added a lot of cops in the UK in the early 2000s. Uh, and, and you'll see if you read... Again, sort of pro-gun stuff out of the US, NRA stuff. I read this a lot. They were saying, oh, well, yes, crime rate dropped because that's because they put 20,000 extra cops on the streets. That's what it really had to do with, you know, more cops. But interestingly, they've been pulling those cops back out. They've taken 20,000 cops out of the UK in the last five years, Uh and the crime rate has continued to decline. So it's probably... Not that long-term anyway. Putting more on the streets may have had an impact, but long-term it didn't. Now, So they had their own surge of troops, and then they pulled them back. But the people of, maybe the people's behavior has already been established when they did have the 20,000 extra cops. Yeah, it may have, may have something to do with it. It also might be all these other macroeconomic issues that we talked about mm-hmm. in the last episode. Now, like uh, in Australia, as far as I can tell, the the public consensus in the UK is uh, similar to here. Most people are glad they don't have guns. Uh, mm-hmm. our, our UK listeners can confirm or deny that for us, but uh, I, I did I did look around for research. What I found is that most people are like, "Yep, guns bad. Uh, let's let's you know keep them at an absolute minimum." They're not worried about their government taking over. I mean, I've, I've never understood that. I mean, the government's already the federal government. It's the highest power in the land, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love that in America. Well, we need them in case we get a crazy government. Really? Really? So what's, 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 what's keeping you now? What, what's, how come you haven't taken to the streets and taken over? Oh, no, we like this crazy government. We're, this is our kind this of crazy. This is our kind of crazy, yeah. Oh, right. Well, Woo-hoo! that's good. good solid argument you got there, son. Uh, we, don't, we don't want a tyrannical government unless it's our tyrannical government. That's all right. Um, don't want a black president, uh, but I'll take this one. By the way, the um, the the homicide rate in uh, the UK has also been falling from a high in two thousand and two, mm-hmm. when a, a family doctor, Doctor Harold Shipman, was uh, charged with or responsible for killing one hundred and seventy two people. What? How? Yeah. Yeah. You gotta like, you know, he wasn't he was fucking doctors. around, Doctor Shipman, man. Like, uh, more like Doctor Evil. He was committed. You gotta give him that. <laughs> Say what you like about Doctor Harold Shipman, but 
He was committed. Uh, a lot of a lot of elderly women. I think he was uh, anesthetizing um, right. without their permission. And I go, oh, well, they did. Old age. He even he, he did get one apparently to put him on the will, which is how he got found out. Um, oh. Wasn't like burying him in a hole in the backyard or anything. It was like, oh, she passed away. But he was, he was knocking him off, and he hung himself in jail before uh, his trial. So they never really worked out what the fuck that was all about. But anyway, yeah. crime rates have been dropping in the UK, as have the homicides rate. Um, maybe the extra police surge, maybe not. Um, I sometimes read in NRA-related stuff too, American stuff, that in the UK there are 2,000 violent crimes per 100,000 people, where in the US it's only 400 violent crimes per 100,000 people, which makes it look like the UK has five times as many violent crimes per capita as the US. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that data? No. Tell me it's BS. Why am I not surprised? Um, now, this is misleading. As I said in the earlier episodes, comparing homicides rates is one thing because a homicide is a homicide. Got a dead body. It's not suicide. It's a, oh, not an accident. It's a homicide, right? Everyone around the world pretty much agrees on what the definition of a homicide is. And a gun-related homicide is one where there's a big fucking hole in them, right? Um, a round hole. Uh, anyway. Um, but crime comparing crime rates is more difficult because what is defined as a violent crime by the FBI, for example, is not necessarily what is defined as a violent crime by the British Home Office or the Australian mm-hmm. government or the Canadian government. So when when you see data comparing crime rates uh, from country to country, you've got to be a little bit careful. Now, there are some ways of doing it. Some people have gone to extreme lengths to try and do apples and apples comparisons, um, mm-hmm. but it is it is difficult. Now, for example, with this one, 2,000 violent crimes per 100,000 people in the UK versus 400 per 100,000 in the US, the British definition includes all crimes against the person, including uh, basic assault, a robbery, sexual offences, whereas the FBI numbers only account aggravated assaults and forcible rapes. Jeez. So when you're comparing those two numbers, the British are throwing a whole bunch of extra things into the crime bucket, violent crime bucket there compared to what's considered a violent crime uh, by the FBI. So I wonder how that's considered good record keeping on our part to parcel it out like that or to separate the statistics like that. Yeah, look, you know, again, countries just have different ways of classifying and things and measuring things. It's, you know, I'm I'm not suggesting that uh, the FBI are doing anything sneaky, although anyone who's who's watched The Wire knows that there's this concept of duking the stats. Let's listen to Przbolewski. For the time being, all teachers will devote class time to teaching language arts sample questions. Now, if you turn to page 11, please, I have some things I want to go over with you. I don't get it. All this so we score higher on the state test? If we're teaching the kids the test questions, what is it assessing in them? Nothing. It assesses us. The test scores go up. They can say the schools are improving. The scores stay down. They can't. Juking the stats. Excuse me? Making robberies into larcenies. Making rapes disappear. You juke the stats and majors become colonels. Wherever you go, there you are. Love it. Love the wire. Love that show. Juking the stats. Basically, I should have set that up before. It's in a school. Przbolewski's a cop who ended up becoming a teacher, and he finds out that just as it happened in the police force where they would fiddle with the stats to make it look like things were going better than they actually were, um, they were doing the same thing in the Mm. schools where they were teaching the test so the kids would get better results, so the school (laughs) looks better, so they get more funding. And... uh, 
you know, in fact, my boys who've just finished grade 12 here were telling me the same thing happens there when they're having their standardized statewide testing to see how the school's performing. Mm-hmm. You know, the school was saying to the dumb kids, don't come tomorrow, just stay home. Uh, have a sick day tomorrow. Yeah, <laughs> go hunting. Uh, it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's appalling. Yeah. I'm, I'm absolutely appalled and disgusted by that. Cre- creative accountancy. You know, I was thinking about on the, when we did the last show for your two for the twins, your older boys. For them, mass shootings is literally studying history. Like you said, it never happened in their lives. You just have to imagine their outlook versus someone like us who's seen. Just so much. That's just well, you know, I've tried to get them to come to America when Chrissy and I go over to visit um, every couple of years or whatever, and they have refused up until mm-hmm. this point. They're like, oh, why would I want to go to that? It's crazy. They shoot each other. <laughs> I don't want to. Why would I put myself crazy in that? Chrissy down. tries to talk them down. Yeah, you know, uh, it's not that bad. It's not as bad as it looks. Like, but why? Why would you even put yourself in that situation? That's insane. It's like going, I'm going to go swim in these crocodile-infested waters. Uh, You know, know, what's the worst that could happen? Egypt. Yeah. I might not die, Mm. but I might. Mm. Why put myself in that? I remember the first, honestly, the first time, the first couple of times I went to the US, I was extremely conscious of the fact that it was a violent society and there were guns everywhere. I don't think about it as much anymore. But it's always present in my mind when I go over there. Yeah. Just uh, I feel like I'm, I don't know, looking at looking around corners, looking behind me, just walking on eggshells. Yeah. Well, do, did you see in the news on on Halloween Day, the last day of October, where the the guy you know rented the truck and plowed into the bicyclists mm-hmm. in New York City? Did you? Okay. Well, it's Halloween night. I take my kids trick or treating, and there's a. Very, it's a very small town. We're talking two roads that intersect. Incredibly small town. But for a part of it, they park fire trucks in the middle of the street so no cars can come down the road. And so this is going to sound crazy, but I just saw that on the news. And when we passed the fire trucks and we were inside the zone, if you will, I'm sitting there thinking I can relax for a moment because no one can physically get a car to us to mow everybody down. Once you're on the outside and there's cars around... It's possible, but I was literally thinking, feeling a little safer when we were inside, when the streets were blocked with fire trucks <sighs> while we were trick or treating. And I don't know, it, it's that's just yeah. what it's getting to. Yeah, uh, in, in it's crazy. Ways. Yeah. So let's get back to Britain uh, or the UK in general. Um, mm-hmm. Now, uh, the Britain doesn't just have fewer gun-related homicides; it has dramatically lower murder rate all around. In 2010. The United States had an average murder rate of 4.8 murders per 100,000 people. The UK is 1.2 mm-hmm. murders per 100,000 people. So well, it's four times. So the, the US murder rate is four times per capita the murder rate in the UK. So you have about four times the chance of getting murdered if you live in America than you do in the United Kingdom. Not just guns, overall murder rate. So what about the suicides in the UK? Well, as in Australia, they were already in decline before the gun laws. They've continued to trend downwards. So on the basis of all of that, what can we say about the UK experience? Um, I would say, like Australia, it's really hard to say if the gun laws really had an impact on homicides or on crime. Certainly seemed to have had an impact on suicides there for the same reasons uh, we talked about in the Australian episodes. There's only been one mass shooting in the last 21 years in the UK. Uh, And again, this must have an effect on the national psyche. Um... It's gun gun control is popular over there, from what I can tell, and yeah, they've had some other mass attacks. They had the knifing attack uh, on the bridge not long ago. They they have you know, um, they've had they've had a, 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 a fuck talk. <clears throat> they've had and they've had a number well, of terror yeah. terrorist related incidences. 
over the last uh, right. 10 years in the UK. Um, but uh, so they don't, they're not devoid of problems, but um, yeah. Yeah. Well, again, the other thing, even though we cannot directly connect uh, getting rid of guns with a fall in crime, the fall in deaths and, and rapes and uh, and uh, murders and things like that, still, I mean, no one's going to argue that it's hurt. I mean, it doesn't hurt to have fewer guns in the country. So maybe it's a part of a general trend that would have happened anyway. But who's to say that it's not a good thing to re- remove these devices that can allow anyone to kill a lot of people in a very short time? Yeah. And I guess that's my perspective as well. I mean, if... Okay, so let's say... Uh, people will sometimes say this, well, you can still get killed with a knife, right? If, I, if, if Chrissy and I are walking down the street and we get mugged and the guy's got a knife. I feel fairly confident that if I uh, attacked him, you know, if I felt the need to do that, initially I'd just give him my shit and go, take it, man. Like, good luck. God bless. Um, but if he, if, he, if he appeared to be kind of crazy-eyed if, and, and he was, I thought we, he was going to harm us, if I if I if I wrestled with him, I might get cut, stabbed. I might even die. But I'm pretty sure I could hold him off for a couple of minutes in the process, which would give Chrissy a chance or Chrissy yeah. and Fox a chance, let's say, to escape, to get a get away, get a block away, right? Yeah. Hide, call for help, run into a shop, a house, whatever. Get in a car. If the guy's got a gun. Even a handgun, let alone semi-automatic or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm fucked, really. Uh, unless you know, I'm pulling out yeah. some uh, Bruce Lee-style shit, and I could. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Just because you can do the accent doesn't. Oh. Anyway, why are you looking at me? Uh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, trying to talk with an overdub mouth like uh, Michael Winslow does. You look at my sister the wrong way. That's when you say. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, like, that's when you go. My master was better than your master. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. If he's got a gun, I'm fucked. Like one shot, I'm down. Another shot, they're down. And then Fox would have to grow up to be Batman, which right. in and of itself, not a bad thing. <laughs> he, he's already going to grow up to be Batman. The ginger anyway. Batman. <laughs> <laughs> Do I look like a cop? Who gave the order? And then somebody, he's got the criminal upside down. He's going, who gave the order? Can, can I guess? I'll answer that in a second, but is that red hair poking out of your cowl? Are you a ginger? <laughs> That's got nothing to do with it. Oh my god, you are. You're a ginger. Oh, fuck me. No wonder you're so angry. Because I can't take you seriously. No wonder you're so angry. You can't go out in the sun and you don't have a soul. So <laughs> I get it. I get it now. <laughs> I'd be angry too and dress up like that. I said, oh, it's not he, true. He, then he hugs me. It's, it's, it's not true. It's just the light. No, don't leave me alone. Batman runs away, cries in the corner, dig, <laughs> digs into his utility belt tears? for some bat tissues. It's going to be okay. Oh, God. Anyway, so my point is I'll take a gun attack over a knife. Uh, uh, yes. Sorry, a knife attack over a gun attack uh, <laughs> any day. Now. Right. Uh, yeah, look, there's been some horrible knife attacks in, in the UK uh, in recent times. But uh, generally speaking, yeah, I'll take a knife attack over a gun attack. Now, yeah. let's move on to Canada. Mm-hmm. Now, Canada has... Well, the first thing that... Um, yeah, go. Go. yeah. I think we have a lag. No, I was just going to say that um, the first thing, of course, um, that that's the big that's all in the news because of the Las Vegas shooting is Canada does not have the the bump stock device, which you know uses a gun's recoil to push the trigger into the shooter's finger. Um, 
basically turning semi-automatics into automatics. But again, Canada has uh, much stronger laws than we do uh, um, when it comes to guns. I did not know that as of 2014, Canada had 9,950,000 guns. And as I said earlier, the United States as of 2014 has 270 million guns. So again, it's not like there aren't guns in Canada. It's not like there are not guns in Australia. It's just that I guess maybe the mentality is different, but the laws yeah. are certainly different. Yeah, Canada's an interesting one. They have pretty strict gun laws, but they have a lot more guns per capita than Australia or the UK, although, as you said, not as many as America. The most recent numbers I found were 2004 numbers that said there were firearms in about 15.5% of Canadian homes compared to 347 mm. American homes. Right. About 25 guns per 100 people. Again, America's 88. Australia's 14. The UK is about, what do we say, three or four. Uh, about 25 in Canada. So a lot compared to Australia and the UK, but not many compared to the US. Um. Actually, I've, I've read numbers that said 88 per 100. I've also read numbers the U.S. says there's 101 guns per 100. So I don't know which is right. There's a lot. Now, on yeah. on the in an average year in Canada... If, if Sorry. What were you going to say? <clears throat> no, that I was just going to... Um, I was just going to describe the steps of what it takes to buy, to buy a gun in Canada, but we can do that a little later if it's, you know... No, jump in, whatever. Okay. No, I just thought it was interesting. So in order to get a gun in Canada to be eligible to receive a PAL, a position-only license, um, all applicants have to successfully complete the Canadian Firearms Safety Course for for a non-restricted license and the Canadian Restricted Firearms Safety Course for a restricted license. Uh, The non-restricted class is a prerequisite to to a restricted license. Um, Each province or territory's chief firearms officer publishes information on the location so you'll know where to go. So, So you have to take a class, you have to take a course. Uh, applying for a license currently only one type of license is available to new applicants and that's just the uh, possession acquisition license uh, but again they have the uh, the background checks they have the reference interviews they have to be screened they have the mandatory 28 8, 28 day waiting period for all first-time applicants so again i think australia and UK had, I think it was at least 28, if not 30 days of a waiting period after you've gone through everything that you still have to wait before you receive your license. So again, they have slowed down the process and it gives them plenty of time to check someone out before a license Mm. is given to them. Now, in uh, Canada every year, they have about roughly 200 gun-related deaths. They have a population of about 36 million people. So population is about 9% of America's population, but they have one-fiftieth the number of gun-related homicides. Per capita, it's about... Is that because it's too cold up there? (laughs) Per capita, it is about seven times less firearm-related homicides. Now, it may have something to do with the cold. Um, In fact, if you look at map of uh, gun homicides in the United States, just pulling the... I don't have it in front of me, so I'm just pulling Mm -hmm. it up now. Um, You you can actually see that um, most of the gun-related homicides in the US um, sort of don't take place in the far north, right? So maybe there is some sense in what you're saying. I mean, there's I've got a, like a heat map of gun violence here. Um, most of it's on the eastern side of the US, east of the Mississippi, um, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of it's on the East Coast, 
Boston, New York, Philadelphia, Baltimore, Washington, go down to Miami. It's just this map just looks like a pimply teenager, quite frankly. Um, L.A., Oakland, Portland, Seattle, um, Las Vegas, Phoenix, Denver, all the, all the you know major capitals where you expect. But when you get up around the sort of western, uh, northern regions up around where you border onto Canada, not a lot. So maybe, I mean, also there's no major capitals up there. I mean, Seattle's probably the closest, so that may have something to do with population density in those areas. Um, I don't know. But maybe, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe the colder it gets, the more you're like, oh, let's just sit in front of the fireplace. Fuck this. I'm not going to go, I'm not going to kill anyone tonight, honey. It's uh, too cold. Just give me a, put, wear my, too fucking, wear my, my holy socks and uh, drink a hot toddy. Instead, I was going to go out and kill someone, but uh, fuck this cold, but man. I, who who can be bothered? Oh, it's like yeah. it's like me trying to have a cigar in uh, Zion National Park in the middle of winter a couple of years ago. I'm like, I'm I'm persisting. I'm gonna do it. My hands are freezing off. I'm not enjoying it, but I'm fucking. I haven't had a cigar in a week. I'm gonna have one. I don't care what you say. I don't care how cold it is outside. I'm doing this. <laughs> Mm. Mm. Anyway, good for you. Thank you. You made the right um, choice. <clears throat> so, Canada, a uh, lot less firearm related homicides than the US, but way more than Australia and the UK. Now, guns account mm. for 69% of all homicides in the United States, in Canada, only 33% of all homicides. Now, the most uh, famous big mass shooting in uh, Canada happened in 1989, a few years before the ones in Australia and the UK. It was at the uh, École Polytechnique in Montreal in uh, Quebec. The 25-year-old guy, Marc Lépine, uh, walked around with a, a rifle and a hunting knife, shot 28 people, um, killing 14 women before committing suicide. It's the deadliest mass shooting in Canadian history and uh, was sort of one of the turning points there in bringing about uh, stronger gun control laws that you mentioned before. Right. Jeez. So was was their reaction similar to uh, to Australia's or was it where they, they did something pretty quick or was it more of a gradual process? Um, yeah, no, it was pretty quick and, and some of it's been undone in recent years uh, when Stephen Harper was the Prime Minister. But mm-hmm. basically they uh, have uh, a classification over there where you have three basic categories, prohibited, restricted and non-restricted. Prohibited firearms are things like AK-47s, um, sawn-off rifles, shotguns, your sort of your your, your military-grade assault weapons, uh, semi-automatic and automatic, and uh, sawn-offs. Then you have your uh, restricted weapons, which are things like handguns, and then you have rifles and shotguns, which are usually non-restricted, easier to get those. And obviously, a lot of, there's a lot of people in Canada, I imagine, are still hunting, trapping, um, what do you call those things with the... What, what, yeah, it's, fighting up the bears. It's Revenant. Yeah. I think in Canada, I think of Leonardo DiCaprio and Revenant, fighting off bears and right. trapping otters, basically. That's what I think. That's how I think yeah, there you go. most people in Canada live. That's what they're doing, <laughs> trapping otters and fighting off bears. That's basically my view of Canada. When they're not, you know, by the stove trying to survive the latest, uh, the freeze. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's pretty much all they do. Uh, where was I going with that? Oh, yeah. So, um, as you said, you got to have a license and there's a screening process and all that kind of stuff. Now, these were loosened up a little bit when the conservative government was in charge a few years ago. Uh, Stephen Harper scrapped a thing called the Long Gun Registry. But uh, now that they've got uh, Mr. Sexy, um, <laughs> JT, JT, Justin Timberlake is now Prime Minister of Canada. Uh, he hasn't he hasn't uh, reintroduced the Long Gun Registry, uh, um, so they're they're not keeping this sort of um, 
you know, like we have a, a registry in Australia and I think they have in the UK <clears throat> of people that do have weapons, a national registry. They scrapped that in Canada. But even with that, mm-hmm. still the laws there are much tougher than in the US. Um, now, about yeah. uh, so one in five firearm-related deaths in Canada is the result of a criminal offence. Uh, the rest are the mm. result of suicide or accidents or legal intervention, i.e. a cop getting involved in shooting him. Right. One in five is a criminal offence, about 21%. And in 2012, about half of all homicides committed with a firearm were gang-related. Uh, uh, the, I, I assume that those gangs are that, that be gangs of otters defending yeah. themselves against <laughs> grizzly bears is basically what I think a lot of those are about. Right. <laughs> well, if you're an otter, you're definitely going to want a gun Ooh. going up against a grizzly right. bear. That's just not Yeah, fair. I get it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I was just wondering if the um, the activity of the gang should be in a separate category because, yes, someone died from a gun, but the two sides are obviously fighting over something, and so something's going to happen like that. Uh, I wonder what the numbers would be if that kind of activity was was taken out of the mix or put into you know, a little known fact that the gangs in Canada are actually the nicest gangs in the world. When they're having a shootout, <laughs> they actually say, well, looks like I'm going to have to shoot you here. Oh, really? Oh, I wouldn't like that, eh? <laughs> I'm very, very sorry, sorry. I'm going to have to shoot you. Uh, <laughs> could, would you mind if you don't shoot me, eh? I could run away. Oh, I'm going <laughs> to... don't know what the fuck that accent is. But anyway, that's my impersonation of Canadians. Speaking right. speaking I of impersonations, we went to see this new uh, Churchill film the other day, Darkest Hour. Went to a screening of that. Gary Oldman oh, yeah. playing Churchill. Um, and I tell you, I reckon my Churchill impersonation is uh, pretty good compared to Gary Owens. <laughs> I reckon. Oh, I kept wanting yeah, to get up and go. Oh, shut! No, just let get let me do no. that. Why? Well, he's not even shaking his head properly. In all seriousness, a great performance by Gary Oldman in that film. The film itself. Yeah. Not great. I mean, okay. Uh, it only it's only like the first three weeks of his prime ministership, uh, May nineteen forty, um, and it depicts a little bit about how unpopular he was and how everyone hated him. Um, but uh, there's a couple of really sort of hack scenes, really embarrassingly bad, badly written scenes. But Gary Oldman's great. I mean, he carries the whole thing. Does ch- yeah, he's great, great it. fucking yeah. actor, solid, he's massively solid. So anyway, yeah, good. I, I wouldn't. I, I mean, it's okay for fans of ours who've listened to the Cold War show in particular. Worth seeing. I uh, get just more of a sense of Churchill smoking cigars, drinking. I mean, there's great scenes where they come into his bedroom the morning of the day <laughs> where he's going to be made prime minister. Uh, his, you know, his staff comes into his bedroom. Uh, and pulls past, pulls apart the curtains. He's already have, he's already sitting there drinking a scotch and smoking a cigar. <laughs> it's, it's, the room is there dark, and he's uh, already into it. There's a great there's a great line where he's having lunch with King George, and uh, he's drinking just, uh, fucking Churchill's drinking champagne, and uh, King George says, "How do you manage? How, how do you manage to drink so early in the morning, early in the day?" How do you manage to drink so much so early in the day? Churchill just says, practice. <laughs> A lot of great lines, you know. You, I mean, it's gold when you're working with Churchill. So many good lines. Anyway, back to Canada. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, like the rest of these countries we've been talking about, crime rates are down, homicide rates are down. Uh, in 2013, the police reported crime rate was at its lowest point since 1969. Homicides were also at their lowest point since mm-hmm. 1969. So here we have a country that has way more guns than the UK and Australia per capita, also has way more gun-related deaths per capita and deaths overall. Uh, and a higher percentage of homicides are related to firearms. But 
violence is down, generally speaking. Uh, homicides are down. Crime rate is down. But when you compare, like, and you, I mean, culturally, UK, Australia, and Canada very got a lot in common, right? Canada and Australia, large colonies mm-hmm. up until got our independence at some point in the late 18th or early 19th centuries. Um, but uh, so very, very similar in many ways. And Canada is also very similar to the US in lots of ways as well. But they have more guns, also more gun-related deaths, and also more homicides related to guns. So there does seem to be a correlation there. The more guns you have, the more they will be used in homicides. Your homicide rate will be higher uh, and and your gun related homicide rate will be higher, and I couldn't find any data about public attitudes towards guns or gun violence in Canada. Could you? No, we should have had Tony Kynaston on the show. Well, Tony's an Australian who just has lived in Toronto for a few years, but he would have a sense. Um, actually, he was oh. actually around here for dinner uh, a couple of weeks ago. He's in Australia at the moment. He's in Brisbane. Came around. We had dinner. Um, oh, nice. Yes, lovely. Always lovely to see Tony. Um, but yeah, any Canadians listening in, jump on our Facebook page and or shoot us an email and, and let us know what you think about uh, what you think yeah. about uh, the public attitudes towards guns and gun control in Canada. I'm I'm going to assume that the same trend um, for the United States, for the UK, and for Australia, where we were talking about violence was actually going down, was trending down. Uh, it obviously applies to Canada as well. So again, you can't you can't give uh, their their stricter gun laws credit for that. But again, if you could scoop Canada up and physically remove it from being the United the on the border of the United States, I wonder if they're gun-related deaths would go down. I wonder if it's the proximity, the fact that we share culture, you know, the cultural influence of the United States. But again, I wonder what would, if you kept their same laws and you moved it to a different place away from the United States, what over time would be the effects I wonder of that, too. if any? By the way, uh, I should I haven't told you this either, but we have new email addresses for this show, cam at thebullshitfilter.com and ray at thebullshitfilter.com. Shoot us an email cool. to either of those if you want. And, uh, yeah, good luck with that. Um, so let's finish this episode by doing a summary of the other countries, and then we'll get in our next episode to America. Based on all the research I've done over the last week, um, I would say that the experiences of Australia, the UK, and Canada seem to indicate pretty strongly that reducing the number of guns and increasing the restrictions on gun ownership has a correlation with reduced gun violence, particularly with reduced mass shootings. But whether or not we can say that uh, there's a direct correlation or there's a cause and effect there, I can't say for sure or with a cause and effect between removing guns and reducing violence. I, th- I think it is fairly clear in those three countries that it, re- removing as many guns as you can out of society certainly reduces the suicide rate, and that's a good thing. Right. I mean, just think about, for our listeners, if you have somebody near and dear to you who goes through a bad patch and they have a bad day, a bad moment, they try and commit suicide. By the way, I have an uncle, had an uncle, who committed suicide with a gun. Uh, uh, well, I don't know, 15 years ago, maybe. Um, uh, he, was a, he was a former Air Force pilot, uh, had just retired, beautiful family, beautiful marriage, been married a long time to his wife gorgeous kids who were adults at the time Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, he had sort of an Alzheimer's moment one day Uh, couldn't remember he was out uh, in the city in Sydney couldn't remember where he parked his car I think is the story Um, they made an appointment to take him to a neurologist and um, 
before he could even make that appointment, his wife woke up next day. He wasn't in bed. She found him out in the backyard, propped up against a fence, blowing his own head off with his shotgun. Why he had a shotgun living in middle of suburban Sydney, I can't tell you. But, uh, yeah. Now, classic example. There was probably nothing seriously wrong with him. Um, Maybe he might have had a mini stroke. He might have had some sort of small aneurysm. Maybe it was early onset Alzheimer's. He was in his late 60s, I guess. Um, Nothing probably really that wrong with him that he couldn't have lived another 10, 20 years Mm -hmm. easily, happily. But for whatever reason, just decided to go and put a gun in his mouth and kill himself. Now, the... The the trauma that his wife and and children went through, his wife found him, imagine that, trauma that his children went through, his grandchildren, his uh, siblings, my mum and and the rest of his siblings, he had a brother and another sister, Um, terrible. Uh, Fortunately, his parents weren't around at that stage, but yeah, just terrible, terrible thing to happen. Now, if he hadn't had a gun... Uh, he may still have managed to commit suicide. Maybe not. Maybe he would have. Uh, maybe he would have just got through the day. They could have got him to a neurologist. Neurologist would have said, "Hey, listen, you'll be fine. Don't worry about it." But uh, so those things happen. So getting, I think, if there's someone near and dear to you that could commit suicide in a bad moment, would you rather they succeeded or failed? I'm sure most of us would hope that they didn't do it at all, or if they did try, they failed and you could get them into some sort of recovery and, and keep them in your life. So getting rid of guns seems to have a direct correlation on that. But in terms of direct correlation on reducing violence in general, I'm not convinced. That said, right. I am glad that I live in a country where we have strict restrictions on guns. I'm glad we don't have mass shootings. I'm glad that I and my wife and my children and my friends live in a country where we don't walk around with that as part of the social fabric. Not just the ever-present threat of a one-on-one shooting or a mass shooting or of gun violence in general, but the stuff I've talked about over the course of these episodes, just that being in the atmosphere. It's bad enough for us when it happens in your country because obviously the media here is saturated mm-hmm. with it when things like Las Vegas happen. And uh, it, it's all over social media and over Facebook, things like that. And we get sucked into those conversations more often than we'd like to. And, you know, Chrissy just walks around here shaking her head going, what's wrong with my country? Um and 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 I have to deliberately try and stay out of it because I've given up. You know, ten years ago I would have engaged Americans in these conversations. Now I'm like, oh fuck America, America's fucked. Like fuck it, I'm not yeah. even. I'm not even going. I've heard all of the arguments a million times. I've debated this so many times now. It's uh, I don't care anymore. It's just, it just seems like it seems like a waste of time and energy. But. We don't have it in this country or in the UK or in Canada. And I think most Australians, from what I can gather, most Australians, people in the UK, um, UKians, is that what you call them? I think that's what you call them. Yukians. We'll just call them Yukians. And uh, Canadians. Sure. Feel the same way that I do. We, we are glad that we live in countries with strict restrictions on guns and we've you know we've had these now for a generation and there's pretty much nobody in these countries going oh let's be more like america yeah yeah there's nothing to be gained to to bringing guns back into those societies and i just wanted to add on again based on cam's research tonight the the commonalities between uh these countries that we've covered tonight it actually says you have to have a genuine reason for holding a firearms license and you have to be a member of some kind of shooting club or a range or something like that where there are professionals around and the process to get a gun and there's a there is a waiting period and again so they have really taken this seriously they thought it out um and there was one Australian who who was writing because he's he's had a guns he's had guns all his lives 
uh, all his life. And he said, look, it's not a big deal to have a gun. You just have to jump through some hoops. You have to be responsible and you have to be able to uh, show that you're being responsible. But again, a lot of people just don't want it. And as we said, I think at the beginning of one of the shows, um, people in, in Australia and the UK and maybe in Canada, I don't know, I couldn't find it. They don't think in terms of having guns as being needed to be safe. It just doesn't factor into their thinking. And when we get to America, of course, we're going to find out that that's one of the reasons that's been shoved down our throats by the NRA and other pro-gun lobbyists uh, for years. And now it's become, to us, um, absolute fact. All right. Well, that's the end of this episode, folks. Thanks for tuning in and uh, for subscribing and all of that kind of stuff. We appreciate it. Hope you've uh, learned some things. Uh, We'll be back next week where we'll start to talk about the American experience. 